What's up guys? Welcome to Rice Cakes and Pears. It's uh, another awesome day, but for a lot of people, it may not be that awesome. Uh, my podcast, I mean, it's centered on mental health and I feel like people in their 20s, our generation, like we struggle with that a lot. And especially during these times with COVID, things are crazy. And so I have a really cool guest. I met her about five years ago. She's helped me out at college. She was like a student counselor or something, but her name is Alexis Inouye, and she has a pretty amazing story. And when I say amazing, I mean, it's been rough, but she's managed to not necessarily make everything perfect, but she's trying to do something positive with her life. So Alexis, um, thank you for coming on. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> you better be. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, Alexis, tell us, uh, I guess, where you're from, all that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, but now I live in Provo just for school. I did my undergraduate um, here at BYU in um, uh, public relations, and now I'm doing my Master of Social Work at BYU also. So Amazing. And, and we were talking for like a minute before this, and it sounds like you're really enjoying it, right? Yeah, I love it. It's it's just right up my alley, and I love everything I'm learning. So Amazing. <laughs> and I hear you're also an aspiring therapist and licensed clinical social worker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Sick. Yeah. Amazing. Well, best of luck with that. But today, I I know you have a, a pretty like detailed story that involves mental health. So let's start with that. Tell us about your mental health journey. Um, okay, so I guess it's kind of um, uh, a lot, but I guess yeah, I'll it's like a loaded start. question. Just tell us everything about that you've been through. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I'll kind of just start with. Um, giving some context with my family. So I, there's a lot of mental illness in my family, I guess, um, (laughs) a lot of anxiety and depression. So I, I mean, I wouldn't be, um, surprised if somewhere along the line when we're better at testing depression, anxiety through genetics, if I found out that it was a lot of it was genetic, which I'm sure it is, but, um, so growing up, I have three, um, younger sisters who have pretty severe medical issues, Um, And I was kind of the kid in the family. So I have an older brother too, but I was always kind of the kid in the family who kind of had my stuff together, you know, (laughs) like did well in school, like, you know, kind of a perfectionist. Um, Since I was little, I would have like anxiety attacks from, but like, I I didn't know what it was. My parents didn't know what it was. I would just like start shaking uncontrollably. And my mom would be like, oh, you just ate too much sugar. (laughs) And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of like the beginning of it. Um, I guess like kind of along the line, um, I struggled with anxiety for like a long time, not understanding what it was like as a child. But then as I started getting older, it kind of developed into other things. When my, I have a younger sister. Um, Mm -hmm. so she has, um, or she had epilepsy. So she actually had a miraculous brain surgery a couple of years ago where she does not have seizures anymore, but, um, she used to have seizures like pretty, um, consistently, like basically every day. Um, and, uh, she almost drowned when I was about, I think I was about 12. Um, she was like nine or 10. Um, but yeah, so she almost drowned. We were on vacation. I'm the one who like found her when she oh, was like unconscious at the bottom of the, the pool and like pulled her out. Anyway, after that experience, I kind of became 
kind of psycho about <laughs> just like people leaving my house and being um really uh I guess uh paranoid about things. I'm yeah. not quite sure um if that's where the OCD stemmed from or if it was already there and that's just kind of when I started noticing it. Um but there's a lot of things that I did like uh, kind of classic things like checking lights a million times or like just like if people would leave I'd be like calling them like my family like my parents or my siblings I'd just be like calling them every second like are you dead like and I felt like if mm-hmm. I didn't call them they were gonna get in a car accident just crazy stuff like that um, how old parents, were you um so at that point I was probably like uh 12 13 like middle school age um but yeah, yeah so yeah and that kind of continued in on through my teenage years Um, and I didn't really notice it as a problem until my freshman year, um, of, uh, college. So, um, but yeah, so a a huge part of it, um, I guess there's a lot. So if I'm like going off track, just like, let me know or like help me rein it in. I'm just kind of going everywhere. No, I love it. Um, It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, a big thing that I did a lot was, um, like I said, I was just kind of a perfectionist. So I would do a lot of like list making or like organizing things and just stuff like that. And it was just kind of my way to cope with things and think just, if I didn't do certain things, um, I just like never felt quite right. And Mm. anyone with OCD kind of understands that feeling. I can't really put it into words, but it's kind of like, it just doesn't feel right. So you just have to keep doing it a million times until it feels right. Never quite yeah. ever feels right. But, um, but yeah, so that was a thing. And then, um, kind of also with that, um, I started, um, just feeling really depressed when I was probably in like middle school, freshman year of high school. Um, and I was just like, I mean, just kind of the classic depression symptoms, like, not opening up to people it just being super sad like I didn't have a lot of friends um like suicidal ideation like all those things so I was all kind of together and then with that just kind of the classic teenage girl thinking she's fat kind of thing Mm. um started when I was about like 12 13 um and then um yeah I kind of went through cycles of like um trying to starve myself and they got into calorie counting um and just became really obsessive with that, lost a lot of weight a lot of when I was about 15, 16. And then people started telling me I was losing too much weight. So I tried <laughs> to like stabilize um, and then kind of hit this point where it turned into kind of a binge eating disorder type thing where it was just like I would try to restrict, but then I would eat something and then I literally couldn't stop. And it was I was just like a black hole and yeah. just like just couldn't stop eating it was just like it's like I would literally like and I'd wait till like everyone went to bed and then I'd just be like crazy <laughs> was there was there a favorite thing that you like to binge <laughs> um it was kind of bad but this is so weird but I um <laughs> when I and I, maybe people with binging disorder kind of understand this but like there's just like random stuff I would eat like I'd always eat waffles with peanut butter don't Ooh. ask why super random <laughs> I just like don't eat that that much anymore and maybe it's because of that but um but yeah so it was like a huge thing but it was really just anything like Mm. Um, and that, that cycle where it was just like, I'd binge and then I'd be like, Oh, I'm so fat. I can't do this anymore. Then I would uh-huh. try to restrict. I would try not to eat for a couple days or something. And then like, I would go back into binging again and it just became this whole cycle. So 
I guess that's that's kind of the background of yeah. a lot of things and just the very basic touching the surface. But those are kind of like the main things like the anxiety and um, OCD and then the depression and the uh-huh. eating disorder that were yeah. all kind of together. That's a lot. Dang. So <laughs> I, it, it's interesting because, I mean, you mentioned for say, I mean, I'm sure your parents are awesome, but like mm-hmm. the, their generation, like. I don't know if they really dealt with mental health like that wasn't really talked mm-hmm. about. Did you feel like it was hard for them to understand? Not not like we're trying to call them out, but like was it hard for them mm-hmm. to understand that you were feeling really weird and off? Um yes, so that that's like kind of a huge part of my I guess for lack of a better word, like journey. But, yeah. Um, so when I was younger, because my siblings had so many medical issues, I always felt like I couldn't say anything. Like I was mm. like, I'm the one who has to be perfect. Like I can't come forward and like tell my parents that I'm having issues. So like, for example, I would tell, I had like one friend um, my freshman year, I remember, um, who I would open up to about stuff. And I must have mentioned to her one time something about like wanting to kill myself or just, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and she told her mom and then her mom told my mom. And then my mom approached me and then said, hey, like, you know, this girl's mom said that you had mentioned that you like were thinking about killing yourself. Like you, you didn't do that. Right. You know, like, and that's basically <laughs> oh, what no. she said to me. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like why would she ever say that? You know, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. really bad. Like I would just deflect everything. I'd be like, Oh, it's probably because, you know, she thought this or whatever, but, but yeah. And then, um, so that kind of thing continued. Um, my mom noticed I was like, not okay towards the end of my sophomore year. So I played high school basketball and I was just like exhausted all the time. Mm. Um, and like, it was just, I don't know. Like I, I can't really explain it, but it's like, I was just super tired and she could just tell something was wrong. So I ended up doing an online school for my last years of high school. Cause I was just like falling apart basically. Yeah. Um, and my mom is very good at being like, if you need a break, take a break. Like that's something my mom is very good at. Um, but then later when I was in college, like my freshman year was when I started, I learned about OCD and then I was like, Oh my gosh, like <laughs> this is me, you know? Yeah. And so then I went to a therapist and like, basically found out I had OCD. I didn't get um, officially diagnosed kind of because I never pursued it because I didn't really know if I wanted that label on yeah, me. Yeah, yes, totally. Yeah, but then so I called my parents after. I remember this day like very clearly. I like came out of my ther- like appointment, my therapy appointment, um, and I called my parents and they were in the car for some reason together. And I was like, I, I think I have OCD. And then they both just said like at the same time, no, you don't, no, you don't have that. No, you do not. And I was like, Oh, and that kind of shut me down to like, Oh, I can't talk to them about this stuff. Um, luckily since that point, um, I have been able to, um, kind of warm them up to the fact I think a big part of that was I was very depressed on so I served a a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Mm -hmm. in Japan um, and I was really depressed on my mission I came back and I was depressed out of my mind I took a medication that made it worse and then my parents actually saw me because I was living at home at that time and I was like I think I was 22 um I was so depressed. My parents actually like saw me in that state. And cause when I was younger, they just didn't notice what I did. Cause they were so like preoccupied by my siblings. I just like sat in my room and no one cared. But, <laughs> but then when I was older and they saw it, they were like, Oh my gosh, like something is wrong. And then I kind of, and as I started going more into mental health and incorporating that into my career, they started kind of warning, warming up to it. Um, okay. 
and uh, ended up help getting my sisters who also have anxiety and things like that, getting them into therapy and like that kind of thing. So I guess there's kind of a success story that goes yeah. <laughs> along with that. But that was a big struggle in my life. No, that thanks for sharing that. And it, it's interesting. So like, I mean, I served a mission. I talk about it in a couple of episodes, but mm-hmm. it's it's so funny. It's like people talk about it, it's like the best thing ever it's gonna be amazing and then you're out there and you're like this sucks man like I'm dying like I don't feel good and so how did you come to terms with that like were you ever angry at God or were you ever just frustrated like with the or, I mean I guess our church or religion um yeah so I have had kind of a I guess like constant internal battle with that because yeah. um I and I, I'll say like I'm still a member of the Church of Christ Latter-day Saints. No, I haven't it, like I'm not like I haven't left the church or anything. Well here's the thing too like I, oh. I feel as though as a culture, the Mormon culture, like people are like we need to be open. We need to talk about our concerns, not in like a way where it's like screw everybody, F this, I don't know. But like uh-huh. we, we yeah. need to just be open. Like like, for example, like, we need to talk about homosexuality, gays, whatever it is. Like, we just have to be real about it. So I I, I know you're saying, like, um, don't worry, I'm not leaving the church. But honestly, like, wherever you're at, it's a no-judge zone here. Cause yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Honestly. No, but you can uh-huh. go on, I guess. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. And no, I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, no, I guess me saying that is also part of me trying to be completely transparent because I think a lot of, I've seen a lot of people in the mental health field leave the church because of their battle. Um, and like, I don't plan to, I guess is what I'm yeah. trying to say, um, just from the outset. Um, but I have had kind of a struggle with that, um, especially on my mission and after my mission, I guess is a good place to put it. So, because my whole life, I kind of grew up, like I never doubted, like I just Mm -hmm. took it face value, I guess. I mean, I had experiences where I really felt like, you know, it was true and all this stuff. Um, but then suddenly like right before I left on my mission, I don't know what it was. I just started having all these doubts. Like I was like, wait a second, is this true? Is it not? I don't Uh know. Um, and I started to recognize that my anxiety and what I thought was like the spirit trying to tell me to do something, I didn't know the difference. It just was exactly the same to me. And so basically I was responding to my anxiety, thinking I was responding to the spirit. And yeah. then once I figured out there was an issue there, it just like threw me off. Like I was very confused. Like, wait a second. I, I don't know what's true anymore. If that makes any no, sense. No, that makes perfect sense because I had like some OCD anxiety going on mm-hmm. and the freaking mission rules are nuts. They're just like, oh, don't wear socks yes. for your salvations at stake. It's like, you're crazy, yeah. man. <laughs> so like someone who is anxious going out, like that just pumps it up to like 2000. Like I, I just remember like a lot of times, like I, like I had to come to terms that, Oh, you know what? I thought I was following the spirit, but it was just my anxiety. And it, it's like, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it, it, I was kind of embarrassed. It was like, man, I'm, a, I'm an idiot, <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, I, that totally makes sense. So I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, being, and I'm sure you can relate, but being on a mission, it's like, drives you insane (laughs) because they're they're constantly telling you like these stories where they're just like if um you know like uh, something crazy happens and then you have this spiritual experience and you're like oh yeah I'm supposed to um 
do this thing. You know, like I, I feel a spirit telling me to like go down the street and then right. they meet some person who's like, I've been looking for Jesus my whole life. And you just brought him to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's just like that kind of, um, thing like throws you off because then you're like, why am I not having that experience? Or <laughs> you're tricking yourself into thinking that you're having that experience when really your anxiety is just like, if you don't do everything I say, um, then you're a bad person. You're not worth it. God doesn't love you anymore. Like you're doing everything wrong. You're not a good missionary, like yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think a big thing on top of that, that I really struggled with on my mission was, um, the whole schedule thing where it's like, you have to go to bed at 10 30 and wake up at six 30. And anybody with anxiety knows that that is a joke. You know, like yeah. no way in heck am I going to be able to actually fall asleep at 10 30 <laughs> and then wake yeah. up at six 30 and have a full night's rest where I wasn't having anxiety in my sleep and not getting good quality sleep. Yeah. You know, like I basically didn't sleep. And then I was like expected to go through the whole day and then be able to feel the spirit and be all at peace at, with everything I was doing. So it literally just drove me insane. But yeah. And then, then you look at the rule book. It's like, if you you don't sleep and you're never going to be yeah, good. Yeah. It's like, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And then, so when I got off my mission, um, I was honestly really confused. Like when I, uh, so like I said, toward, I was depressed a lot of my mission, but especially towards the end, like uh, to the point where like I was so depressed that it was like, I was having physical symptoms. Like I was mm. like almost sick basically. Um, and I was literally just like sleeping all the time. Um, because at that point I told my mission president and luckily I had a really good mission president who kind of like cut me some slack. Um, but yeah, so he kind of, he told me like, if you need to sleep, then sleep, like don't die. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so then he, so I was sleeping all the time. I was just like sick. And so I was talking to a counselor and the counselor was like, I think you have mono or like a thyroid problem or something like you should get tested when you get home. Um, and she, she tried to convince me to try medication while I was on the mission, but I was so scared to do that while I was in Japan, you know, like in a different country. Like I didn't want to be trying all these like medications that could mess me up. Um, mm -hmm. which honestly looking back now, that was a good choice. I'm glad I didn't do that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. But when I got home, I did get tested for both mono and, um, cause it was only like a few weeks before I left. So I would have still had it if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so I got tested for that. And then for like thyroid issues or something that could be like medical and it was all negative and I was honestly just depressed. So then I went to a, um, just a doctor, which was, uh, you know, I've learned since then, don't go see a psychiatrist <laughs> if you need medication. Like don't just go to your like family yeah, practitioner. Like that's not know. the best choice. But yeah. So, but I went to her and she, as soon as I said the word depression, this like, I could just see something switched on in her head. And suddenly she just like, didn't take me seriously anymore. And she was like, I'm going to like prescribe you this random medication. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what it was, but I took it and I was just like depressed. I was like the most depressed I've ever been in my life. Like I, my honestly, like the world was like a black hole. Like I would wake yeah, up dang. and just stare at the wall and just like cry. You know? no, it was like really so hard. Yeah, it, it sucked. And it really, I didn't feel anything. Like, it's like, I didn't feel the spirit. I didn't know. It's like, I, w I was going to church. Then I had kind of a bad experience with like the, the bishop of my young single adult <laughs> ward. And he just kind of said some things like, oh, like you're going to mess up now and you mess me on a spiritual high, but like, don't have a big ego yeah. type thing. So weird. Yeah. And I was like, um, okay. Like, and I was like, I'm in the most spiritual I've ever been in my life. And, and just looking at the mission culture, I was like, is this the culture of our church? Like, is this what we're teaching people? Um, right. and it honestly like threw me off. And I was really questioning if I wanted to be in the church anymore at that point. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, I mean that, that's a lot. And 
I I mean, where where did you go from there? I mean, did you take a break from church? It, it sounds like you you kept going, you kept pushing. Like, why stay in the church if? And I I guess I mean I'm a active member as well, but like mm-hmm. I like to ask this question because I feel like people have really crappy times and they don't get the answers that they're hoping for and just things just don't turn out. Like I feel like with our culture church, we feel like if we do a plus B, then we're going to have blessings. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so why yeah. stay if like you were on a freaking mission and everything sucked, you know? So <laughs> tell us about that. Yeah. Um, that is a good question. I, <laughs> So I guess like, um, I shared this recently on, uh, like in the Instagram, uh, therapy page I just started recently, but I, um, one time kind of during that time when I was just like losing it basically. And I was living at home cause I was waiting to go back to school, but I had to make money in order to go back and all this stuff. Um, one day I just like woke up and I was like, I can't take this anymore. Like mm-hmm. I was literally just like staring at the wall, like crying. And I was like, I can't. And my mom, my mom like came in and she's like, are you depressed? <laughs> it was like so awkward. <laughs> and my other sister came over and she's like, you can't just ask her that. And it was just like a weird moment. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> I didn't answer. Cause I was just like out of it. I like, barely answered anybody at that time like I couldn't even respond to people but um she left and then I literally was just like I just can't do this anymore and so I like got on my knees and I just like prayed I don't even remember what I said like but Mm. like all of a sudden I just felt this like overwhelming like peace like everything's gonna be okay kind of thing because another big thing for me was like I was like I can't I can't see the future from this point you know I'm like where am I going like what's there's no hope you know I just really just didn't feel hope at all and I think feeling that peace gave me the hope I needed to like keep on going. And I mean, it's not like everything was like, you know, rainbows and whatever from there. But, um, I, I guess like since then, what has really helped me is to focus on the gospel and not on, um, the culture and the things that people say and the weird, like (laughs) doctrine stuff that people get into you know, and just, just stick to like, what does the gospel say? And I realize like the gospel said, I mean, literally like you read the scriptures, it's like, God's like, you have agency, you will have trials. The purpose is to learn how to overcome those things, to serve other people, you know, and it's just, it's very basic and simple. And I think I just hold on to that. And obviously there are some things that are difficult to swallow in the church sometimes. Um, I'm not trying to oversimplify people's experiences and some other things that are really hard for people to grapple with. Um, but I think when you can't understand things and you get down to the like simple basic level of the gospel, it just comes down to faith and trust when you don't understand other parts of the gospel. And I think just having a testimony of, knowing that the book of Mormon is true and the Bible is true. And like, um, that those things are what keep me going and where I find peace and strength when I read them. Um, then when I go to make choices or when people judge me for the choices that I make, I can kind of be like, you know what, you are not God. Like it's not your responsibility to tell me how I live my life. And I think just learning how to have like extreme self-confidence in your own spirituality and not, not allow your, anyone else to own your spirituality if that makes any sense yeah totally tell us about um i guess moving forward from that um you re- recently started a instagram uh tell us about what your goal is for that 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, I recently started an Instagram page. It's called Alexis. I underscore therapy that, I mean, that's the handle, I guess, but, um, I, uh, so the reason that I started it is just because one, the biggest thing I think is to normalize things. I just feel like there's a lot of things that aren't normalized, like in regards to one spirituality, like we were just talking about, um, but also, um, like sexuality and shame and trauma that we just never talk about. Um, even that just has to do with any mental illness or simple mental illness, or even if you don't have a diagnosable mental illness, but you're struggling with anxiety or depression, it's like, there's like a shame surrounding it. Like, Oh, it's not bad enough. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of thing. So I guess my goal is just to help people see, that they're not the only ones struggling with these things and getting down to the deeper level. Cause you can be like, everybody has depression or everybody experiences <laughs> depression or anxiety, you know? And like, that's kind of like the basic level. But then when you go deeper than that, there are so many other things. Like recently I posted, um, on, I guess the post was kind of titled, um, like, can we just start talking about sexuality? Like it's normal. Yeah. Um, and I brought up a lot of points about things, that especially people who are, you know, come from sheltered Christian homes, never talk about and probably have experienced that they feel so much shame about and they can't say it out loud because they're like, oh my gosh, I can't be a sexual person because I'm not married, you know, <laughs> like yeah. sexuality can't be part of my life until I'm married, which makes no sense at all. But, um, but yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I guess my goal with it is just to really help like just get those things out there and then also help people find coping mechanisms. I recently like talked on my story about mindfulness and how mindfulness is about recognizing it's about connecting, um, your mind and your body and your emotions and all those things and kind of pulling everything together so you can feel more grounded and like, I guess whole is a, is a good way to put it. But, but yeah, so just those kinds of things, like how, how you can do that and how you can accept yourself and accept the things you struggle with and just feel like, recognize that we're all human and these things are normal, um, kind of thing. So mental health is something we all struggle with, not just people who are diagnosed with mental illness, if that makes sense. Right. And, uh, I, I mean, I saw your page and what drew me in was just, it was so straightforward. Like, let's talk about sexuality. Let's talk about OCD. I had an eating disorder, like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. At least it, it was captivating for me because it's like, these are things people think, but are too scared to talk to. So I think mm-hmm. that's a really brave thing you're doing. Um, and I, I, I guess my question, um, what do you do like on a daily basis or, is, or do you have any tips for someone who's struggling with depression? Obviously I don't know where mm-hmm. you're at too. Like I, I, I definitely think everyone's going through stuff. So if you have anything or advice, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. I think I am in a way better place than I was before, especially like when I first got off my mission. (laughs) That was a bad time. But, um, but I think, um, now I'm kind of in this place where I just also, I just want to kind of say up front that sometimes people think, or they wonder if you can cure mental illness. And I think (laughs) you just have to be careful with that question because, mental illness is not just like something that like exists or doesn't exist. It's just like, there's like a spectrum of things that like Mm. you experience and the way your brain works and the way that you were raised. Um, I mean, if you go, I'm not a neurologist by any means, but just like if you go a little bit into like neurology, you kind of learn that your, your brain, as you grow up, your brain learns to, you know, build these synapses and to build these pathways of this is how I react when this kind of thing happens to me. Like, for example, those who go through extreme trauma, 
um, their brain just learns to, you know, kind of hold on to those things and then react in a certain way when something seems like a threat to them. Um, And so anyway, I guess like with that, it's like our brains all just kind of work different ways. We've learned different things. So you just have to learn how to cope according to yourself. I mean, it's very personalized is kind of what I'm saying. Um, You have to learn like what works for you. um, And then also come to an acceptance that if you think that the rest of your life every day, you're going to wake up super happy with a ton of energy and like no problems, then you're kind of delusional. You know, yeah, exactly. And so for me, and I guess this is just me personally about my own experience. Um, I love, so there's a therapy called um, acceptance and commitment therapy. And I just love the concept of that. Um, and it's just kind of like, Uh, I guess this is not necessarily just the therapy in itself, but just the idea of acceptance um, Mm -hmm. is really important to me because there's a lot of things in our lives that we, um, you know, can't control. Um, And so, for example, like for Alcoholics Anonymous, I think um, they have this or just like any kind of addiction group, they have this thing called the serenity prayer. um, And it's like, God grant me the, um, uh, the power to accept the things, um, I cannot change. And I, anyway, sorry, I don't have it memorized, but it's basically like accept the things that you can't change. Um, and then be able to like do what you can to change the things you can and have the wisdom to know the difference. That was like slaughtering it, but but basically, yeah. So I think I read, I actually read that in a book, um, called, I think it's called, um, uh, breaking night. Anyway, it's a memoir. I love memoirs about people who go from like bad situations to like getting education and those kinds of things. No, that's really cool. Yeah. So in that book, it like talked about that. That was the first time I was introduced to it. And it's just, I think that concept has helped me a lot because there's, so we all have trauma to some extent, you know, um, like the way we were raised or things that have happened to us or whatever. Um, and some of it is like little T trauma. Some of it's like big T trauma. Um, but, um, I, I think just for a long time, I was really upset at like, it's not fair that like my parents didn't pay attention to me because my siblings have all these problems or it's not fair that they didn't get me help when like, I, or how come they couldn't recognize that I was having anxiety attacks when I was like a little kid. Like if I could have dealt with that way earlier, I wouldn't be dealing with what I have now, like all this stuff. But really like when it comes down to it, I'm like, that's just unrealistic. Like we're all human beings. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. They didn't have an extensive mental health knowledge and their mm-hmm. generation was not into that kind of thing. So yeah. Um, yeah, so just like learning how to accept those things and then being able to hold a place for both, like, or I guess like understanding both your shame and like, like, or how much shame you feel from those kinds of things and how much you blame those things on other people and shame being kind of like blaming it on yourself and feeling like you're a bad person. And you kind of go in this cycle where you're like, it's someone else's fault or it's only my fault, but just recognize that everybody holds responsibility. You know, there's responsibility yeah. everywhere. Like, yeah, right. maybe my parents could have done things better. That's true, but they didn't and they didn't know any better. So how I, there's no point in holding that against them for the rest of their lives. And there are things <laughs> I could have done better. And like, there's no point in holding that against myself for the rest of my life, if that makes sense. Um, and then yeah. from that point, after accepting those things that I can't change, kind of getting to this point where it's like, okay, well, so now like I struggle with, um, you know, anxiety attacks or like I struggle with like times in my life where I feel depressed or whatever. Um, and just kind of building coping mechanisms. Like I was saying, mindfulness, um, meditation, mindfulness is kind of the biggest one for me. Just kind of being extremely aware of like, how, mm-hmm. what am I feeling in my body? What am I feeling? Like, what am I 
feeling like in my heart or in my mind, like what am I thinking and how are these, these, these things connecting? Where are they coming from? Um, and so I'm not perfect. Like there are days I wake up and I'm like, I cannot handle this day or like something happens and it triggers me and I like can't handle my life all of a sudden, yeah. you know, but like, because I have those coping mechanisms that I've built up, um, I've really been able to recognize those things and, um, use those coping mechanisms to bring myself down and then give myself permission to not be okay for a little while. Like, you're not just going to like fix it in one second, but like, okay, so I'm feeling kind of depressed for whatever. It's been like a week. I don't know. And then like, just give yourself permission. Like, it's okay. This is something I struggle with. This is the way my brain deals with things. I just need to learn how to, you know, move through this. And when you allow yourself to move through it and deal with it without trying to push it away, you can get through it and then be able to move on with your life and then be okay with knowing that it might happen again, but you kind of have to keep going if that makes sense. Yeah, Um, that does. Yeah. So I think that's kind of, um, also obviously therapy going to therapy. I have gone to therapy on and off in times when I need it. Um, and there's been times when I didn't need it anymore. And then I go back again. Um, I, and just knowing that that's a resource, knowing what resources are available to you in your community, um, and there are those, if you, if you feel like you can't afford it, there are, um, resources, uh, in a lot of cities where people, you know, it's a lot lower cost. You don't need insurance and things like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I guess like those kinds of things, knowing your resources and your coping mechanisms and accepting that things are going to be perfect all the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. I love it. And so, I mean, I, 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 I wasn't expecting us to, to talk about, mission and trauma or like well kind of but I I think since we talked about that I I'd be interested to hear I feel like you have a a good understanding or better perspective on how to give more self-love to ourselves especially in a, a Christian religion that's almost pretty suppressive of what our natural bodies want like sex drugs whatever mm-hmm. it may be um what it what is your take on like how to not shame yourself if you're struggling uh, with sexuality, pornography, or maybe <laughs> you're uh, our listeners, a girl who um, was with a guy. I mean, I guess it can happen both ways and it like things led one to another and you had sex or something happened where it's just like, Oh crap, I'm not supposed to do that. I feel like <laughs> in a religion that's, very don't do this don't do that don't do this um we can be really hard on ourselves so what what is your take on all that yeah um i think coming from obviously like the um uh like the church or lds standpoint i guess (laughs) i don't know how else to say it but um i think uh, a concept that has really helped me with this um, and I got, I guess first I'll talk about kind of like a religious standpoint and then just kind of a anybody yeah. standpoint, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, but, uh, for, I guess, um, when I first got off my mission, I don't even remember where I heard this from, but, uh, somebody said to me, like when Christ died for us and, or also when like heavenly father sent us to the earth, like he knew we were going to make mistakes. He wasn't like, go to earth and don't make mistakes. You know, like he was like, you're going to make mistakes. That's the point. You know, like the point is you're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn from them. Um, And I grew up kind of in a home that was like kind of um, uh, morally perfectionist, I guess. (laughs) And so it was like, don't take risks, you know, like never take a risk. 
like it's better to never have relationships than to have sex. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, that's kind of like, I mean, it's, it sounds extremist, but really I think a lot of LDS people think that like it's better. I know I'm not saying like, I'm not encouraging like, you know, teenage sex or anything right now, but, (laughs) but, but just that, um, and not just sex in terms of like, you know, two people having sex, but also just like other things, like you're saying, pornography, masturbation, those kinds of things um, that people struggle with. Um, It's like, we shame them so much. And then we pretend like nobody does it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just pretend like, oh, we're just going to talk about this. Like, we're not supposed to. So like, (laughs) pretend like nobody does it. Nobody has urges. Yeah, exactly. And then when somebody talks about like, um, you know, oh my gosh, like, you know, I've had friends or whatever. And they're like, oh my gosh, this guy I was dating, like, talked about how he's, like, looked at porn before, like, he must be a bad person, and yeah. I'm like, okay, you recognize that, like, the majority of men yeah, have struggled guy. with porn right. at some point, and also a lot of women, too, like, it's not just right. men, um, but anyway, sorry, I'm getting off track, but I guess, um, back to what I was saying when I first got my mission, what someone had said to me is that the whole, like, we came to this earth, and, like, God knew we were going to make mistakes, um, and that's not to say like, we should just be like, oh, well, I'll throw my morality out the window and do whatever yeah. the heck I want. <laughs> but like, also recognize that making mistakes, especially as a teenager and a young adult is completely normal. Like we are experimenting and trying to figure out what we believe, how do our bodies work? What is going on? You know, like yeah. how relationships work. Um, what's okay. What do I think is okay? Like what, what do I feel comfortable with? what I don't know and like those kinds of things and also like when trauma happens or like when we have hard things we don't know how to cope with if you don't know how to find healthy coping mechanisms you find other coping mechanisms like pornography for example you know um and uh I think yeah like just recognizing that we're gonna make mistakes and like not not throwing out like the commandments or throwing out your own morality or whatever, but, but being okay with like, Oh shoot, I screwed up there. The point, the purpose that Jesus Christ died for us is so that we can repent and change. Like there would be no point in him doing that if he didn't know that we were going to screw up, you know, like just give yourself a little bit of forgiveness and recognize you're not the only one there. Like you can change you can move past this. Like just because you made a mistake, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Like feeling guilt doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're recognizing, Oh, I did something that was against my values and I don't want to do this anymore. You know? And like, there's going to be a process of guilt and shame, but then, you know, being able to move past that. And I think I just wish like we as a church culture could recognize better, like, when people make mistakes, the first, your first reaction, not being like, Oh my gosh, you know, like <laughs> what have you done? Cause I think like for my parents, it's like, I just, I, not that, um, I ever like said anything too crazy to them, but just saying anytime, like growing up, like every time I said something to them, like, what is this? Or like, what, if I didn't understand something, sometimes if it was something that was shameful to them and that's from their you know, the way they grew up too. So I'm not fully blaming that on them, but they'd be like, Oh my gosh, like, why did you say that? Or like, why did you bring that up? You know? And that's (laughs) like really sad because then that shut me down to like, and that just made my depression and my anxiety and eating disorder, everything worse because it was just like, now I can't talk about it. I can't talk about any of this stuff with anybody because they're just going to shut me down or they're just going to shame me and make me feel bad for even bringing it up, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think, um, and just from an everybody point of view, just like, recognizing that if you do something that you feel like is wrong or like you're coping in a way that you don't really feel like matches your values, but it's really hard to stop doing that thing. Forgive yourself a little bit and be like, you know, it's hard to get over this and then go get the help you need, you know, like find the, 
find healthier coping mechanisms, go to therapy. And I mean, and if it's a spiritual thing, you can go to like your bishop, for example, or ecclesiastical leader, whatever, if you're part of a different church, I don't know. Um, If, um, uh, yeah, but also recognizing that they're not trained in mental health. So don't go to them as a therapist, but go to them for spiritual advice and make sure you draw that line. If that makes sense. That's really smart. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask too. So, well, no, no, I wasn't going to ask this, but I, this thought came to my head. My, my wife used to work at a orthodontic place or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. and some of the workers there, I mean, I, I guess they're just, they, they don't practice Mormon religion or whatever. And Mm -hmm. they were talking about like, man, like I, I wish I had sex with different guys. So I know what I'd like. And Mm -hmm. like, maybe people hear that. They're like, oh, frick that they're evil. (laughs) But, um, It's like, that's honestly pretty smart in a way, because I've heard of people like they get married and they, they never messed up or anything. And then they find out like the husband's abusive. (laughs) So it's like, well, frick, like we, we gotta like talk about these things and be more open about it. This just a thought that came to my head, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no. Yes. Oh my gosh. That I am like an advocate, especially, I don't know what it is, but recently in recent months, I've became a huge become a huge advocate for that um um because of my own personal experience with relationships and um, friends also not just myself but um i i i'm not to say that you have to go sleep around in order to know what you want because obviously a huge like no no in a lot of religions but but i do think one in terms of sexuality um educate yourself like what why can't we educate ourselves like it's like to the point where it's like if you go and read a book about sex like you're a bad person you know like that is ridiculous you know like everything has a context you know like you it's okay to go and learn about sexuality and understand things but then also um kind of the other side of it where it's like like you were saying like if you haven't if you don't know what people are like, like how do you know if someone's going to be abusive or something? Um, yeah, it's pretty sketch. Get to know people. Yeah, like, <laughs> like get to know people. Like don't don't allow that infatuation stage to force you into something. Like we just have, as a society have this idea that we're like, even if we say like, oh, we don't believe in soulmates in the church at least, oh, or <laughs> I don't believe in that, whatever. We somewhere deep down inside, like people do, you know, like yeah. somewhere they're like, but you will find that person. And I think like then when you feel like extreme infatuation towards somebody, you're like, this must be the one. Yeah. Where it's like That's not really how it works. I mean, like now that you, of course you should be attracted to the person that you date or marry or whatever, but at the same time, it's just like, I, there's a whole, so much more to it. Like just get to know them, get to know their family, get to know also like, I mean, just kind of staying in the realm of like physical things and like intimacy or whatever. Um, understand like what are they okay with what are you okay Mm -hmm. with because if you never talk about that um especially if you start dating more seriously um and honestly in the beginning i'm not sure i'm not i don't want to say where to like at what point it's appropriate to talk about those things um but um even in the beginning i feel like a lot of especially lds men and women like young adults teenagers were are like super gullible you know it's like you meet <laughs> someone and you're like okay and then there's this whole like nickmo like non-committal makeout <laughs> culture where it's just like go and kiss random people and like i'm not trying to shame anyone for like random yeah. randomly making out people i feel like that's like a normal thing for yeah, young adults to normal. do yeah and like um 
but but it is dangerous like it's kind of dangerous like you really don't know um you know someone is gonna do something that you don't want you know like because they have completely different standards or they just straight up have no respect for you you know so like that is a dangerous thing to get yourself into in the first place i mean and not not ever blaming a victim you know i'm not trying to say like if you've ever been sexually assaulted it's your fault because you made a dumb choice it is never the victim's fault in a sexual assault situation but at the same time like be careful (laughs) like yeah like don't like ask questions get to know people um and there is a um uh a therapist i follow on instagram um i cannot remember her first name yo i think well i was kind of stalking your page just like checking Uh it out and i think maybe no no, you shared on your story it's like a sex therapist is that who you're talking Uh about yeah so there's like i know you're talking about uh huh. Yeah. So there's two different ones. Um, oh, never mind. <laughs> uh, there's one. So the one I've shared a lot. Oh, I've shared both of their, their some of their content. I think. Um, the one I'm talking about specifically right now. I think her name is um, Ben Lason Fife. I think that's her last name. Um. Oh. Anyway, I am like probably butchering it, but um, she mentioned recently, and it was targeted toward LDS, um, young adults. Um, just like the whole like spectrum of kissing I guess and she was just saying like make your kissing match the the level of commitment in your relationship um, which made a lot of sense to me because it's like it communicates something to people you know and um, I'm not going to go super into that because I'm not like a sex therapist but yeah. like but just that like be careful and like it's okay um, I used to sum up like it's okay to educate yourself on like sexual responses and your own body and other people's bodies and just understand how those things work. Um, but then also like get to know people, be careful and like do have lines and do have boundaries and communicate those boundaries to people that you are in, you know, even like low level physical relationships with or whatever. Yeah. I love that. And I I mean, I think communication is freaking key. Like Aubrey. So I married Aubrey. Um, I guess it'll be two years this summer. But I, I mean, I was straight up, like, even before we started dating, I was like, hey, I, cause she's like, she thought I was like this perfect dude, came back from a mission, whatever. And mm-hmm. I was like, we were just having a deep convo. And I was like, yo, I, I've want to be honest with you. I've struggled with pornography in the past. And I mean, mm-hmm. luckily, and I, I mean, not luckily, like it's impossible, but I overcame it. And just being it, being to communicate about vulnerable things like that really brought us mm-hmm. together. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever thought, or I, don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it, it was really beneficial to our relationship to start on that level of vulnerability, even before we started dating. Cause like, I don't want to date someone and then let them know, like when we're getting serious, like let's say we're engaged, Hey, I struggle with porn. And then she's like, what the frick? Like it's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if they don't yeah. want me at my worst, you don't want me at my best or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's no, I think that's a really good thing to bring up because so many men struggle with pornography, like I was saying, or have in the past. And like, it's sad how much we shame them because then it just makes it worse. You know, it's like, oh, now I can't talk about this. I can't bring it up. Um, and I, like, I don't have like a huge background in like, um, I guess like researching pornography or like its effects or anything. So I don't want to go too into that. But, um, on, on one hand, I do think some women have this standard of, I will never date or marry somebody who has a pornography issue. Um, but I think that also shows a little bit of, um, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way because some people that's their boundary and I, you know, I can't, I'm not going to be the one to tell them to change that. 
Um, but at the same time, like just, that just kind of shows a little bit of ignorance and like, okay, but like, there's so many levels of having struggled with pornography. I mean, actually mm-hmm. a, an actual certified sex therapist recently, um, I was talking to, he said to me, um, you know, so many in the church, we always talk about pornography addiction and like most people who struggle with pornography it is not to the level of an addiction, you know? Mm-hmm. And by saying mm-hmm. that, that men have pornography addictions, like we're just like slapping on this label that has so many implications that we are yeah. not, we like do we're, not need we're to be animals, We're animals, we're literal animals. Yeah. <laughs> or like, oh, this is gonna, you know, because this guy has struggled with pornography, like now he's just like a pig who has like no feelings and doesn't he's care destroyed. about women's feelings. Yeah. yeah. Like that's just ridiculous, <laughs> you know? And, um, obviously like you want to be careful like if you're dating someone and they're like i struggle with pornography like pretty hardcore like that's probably a little more of a red flag versus like you know sometimes i look at pornography and it's like you know it's been an issue for me and i'm trying to overcome Mm -hmm. it but like i'm not perfect you know i feel like there's just like a very different vibe there and again i'm not a sex therapist i'm not like i'm not qualified to like say what's what's what in that sense but that's just more of my personal take on that if that makes sense so what uh, I remember you talked about your eating disorder. What has helped mm-hmm. you, um, I guess, cope or, or get through that? Yeah. Um, so I uh, it's kind of interesting because I actually never went to a therapist for my eating disorder. I so I was actually never diagnosed with a specific eating disorder. I call it an eating disorder because it took me a long time to face it and call it that. And now looking back, like studying social work and studying like um, diagnoses and things like that. It's like, it was definitely an eating disorder, (laughs) but, um, but I just don't, I don't see a point in like going retroactively diagnosing it. But, um, at the same time, like, um, I think, uh, now, now I don't really like, I mean, obviously I'm not perfect. Like there's times where I'm like, wow, I wish I was more fit or like, and there's nothing Mm -hmm. necessarily wrong with that. I don't think, but, um, but, uh, I, I guess like, I guess, okay, I, I'm trying to like put my thoughts together here, but something I remember, um, the kind of the first time I publicly shared my eating disorder story on my personal Facebook page a couple years ago or a year ago or something, um, I had just kind of went through and just mentioned how like I went, I had come to like an acceptance of myself and like all these things. Um, someone commented on my Facebook post, somebody that I knew growing up, um, uh, she commented and said, wow, you're so lucky that you had such supportive parents and all these people helping you and people who are so great in your life to help you. And that almost like hurt me because Mm -hmm. it was just this assumption that like there were people who were like, (laughs) actually knew what was going on and helping me. And in reality, nobody was really what (laughs) I was doing was like Googling how do you overcome an eating disorder? (laughs) That is terrible. I'm not recommending that to anybody. It was a terrible time. And I did not, I'm sure I could have done it a much better, less painful way. But, um, but I was literally like Googling, like, what do I do? I discovered intuitive eating. Um, I discovered, um, just like, I mean, intuitive eating is like listening to your body, like and it kind of goes back to mindfulness, just mindful eating, I guess. Like, when mm. do you feel hungry? Um, when do you, you know, when are you thirsty? Like, if you eat a little bit more than usual, like, that's okay. In certain circumstances, like Thanksgiving or like a friend, like, 
activity, like that's not abnormal and being able to like accept those things and then eat the things that you like. Um, and I've just, now I just, I feel like I eat pretty healthy and I'm like happy with where I'm at with all of that. Um, but I think another big part of that was dealing with my own trauma and my own like anxiety and other issues, because those were really the underlying problems, you know, the self-esteem and the not feeling good enough and all those things. Um, and like the, my kind of background, my family, like, um, the perfectionism, like those were the things that were keeping me locked in the eating disorder, if that makes sense. So working on those things really helped me as I was working on the intuitive eating and things like that, like all together. And then going to therapy for anxiety and stuff, it just kind of all worked together. If that makes any sense. No, that does make sense. Um, also I feel like anxiety, mental health really affects our relationships with people. And Mm -hmm. for me, like with my struggle, it's made me kind of give me this social anxiety that's gotten better luckily, but has that been a factor? Like, have you felt a lot of social anxiety on campus? Like not wanting to talk to people? Has that been a thing? Um, now, not really. Now, if you, if you talk to anybody that I know now that I met in the last couple of years and you told them, if you ever implied to them that I was a shy person, they would look at you and be like, no way. <laughs> I'm like really loud. Like there, I just, yeah. But like, if you talk to somebody that only knew me, um, like in like a classroom setting or something, um, or like in one of my wards at church, like my first two years or whatever in college, uh-huh. like they'd be like, yeah, that girl, like, doesn't talk to anybody, you know, <laughs> because like it, it really was like my OCD, especially, um, and the eating disorder and just everything, depression, all those things. Yeah. They, they just consumed my mind. Like I, like I, every, my freshman year, um, I lived in the dorms at BYU and I, my roommate would leave and I would sit in the dorm by myself all day long and I wouldn't leave because I somehow like, I would like, convince I think this was more of like an OCD thing and yeah. anxiety thing I convinced myself there was things I had to do and I wasn't allowed to leave unless I did them and like that kind of consisted of like homework but like I don't know what else but it just like I wouldn't leave sometimes I would but like rarely like I barely left campus my entire first year because and I had like a couple friends but, like I didn't really like I don't know, like I didn't branch out and like do fun stuff like you're supposed to do your freshman year you know mm-hmm. and it's weird because I was still felt happier than I was as a teenager, but it definitely looking back now, I'm like, I didn't even know what I was missing out on, you know, like I, it's, it, like I, someone would invite me to hang out with them and I'd be like, I can't, I can't, like I have to do all this stuff. And then they would leave. And then I would just be sitting there and like on, I remember one day I was just like sitting on my floor in my dorm, just like shaking, like, uh, like I need to do all this stuff. And in the end, they all came back. I never did anything. I was not productive. And I just like sat there like freaking out about what I should be doing, but I, what I wasn't doing. And that's when I was like, this is something's wrong with this. And it really was that when I recognized other people have friends and normal lives and I don't like what's wrong with me. That's when I went and got help. Um, nice. Because yeah. And then with the eating disorder thing, it's like, I would, I didn't want to talk to anyone in my classes because I just thought I was fat and everyone thought I was ugly and fat and didn't want to talk to me. And yeah, so like, really I just, hard. yeah, it, like I remember giving a presentation once and I had to stand in front of everybody and it just like, I was dying like inside. I was like, everyone's staring at me. Everyone's thinking about how fat I am. Like, it's like, oh, that's ridiculous, you know, like looking <laughs> back. But yeah. at that point, like that, it just consumed me. Like I couldn't have normal like friendships and a normal life because I was just so obsessed with all those things. Dang. Well, honestly, um, 
I think we'll wrap up here. You freaking killed it. You had so like I I've I've I, it's just like a conversation. It was fun, but um, I was wondering any final words. Uh, I mean, we're, we're just trying to give perspective, to people. Just be real, and then after that, um, remind us what your Instagram is. Yeah, um, I think just like in terms of um, final words, I just. I think like whatever you're struggling with, like it's enough. That's all I have to say. Like it's enough to do something about it. Like it's enough to go and get help and to learn coping mechanisms and to validate yourself and be like, my struggle is real. My Mm -hmm. experience is real. I, I can, you know, do something about this. Like don't feel shame. And if there is something you feel deep shame about, go talk to a therapist, go just normalize it I just I just want to normalize all these things like you're not alone um and I guess that's and uh, yeah and just kind of going into my therapy account um that I I guess just follow it (laughs) it's called um so it's just my name Alexi Noe my last name is spelled I-N-O-U-Y-E it's like it's Japanese so it's hard to say (laughs) but um but the, the handle is Alexis I underscore therapy. So just A L E X I S I underscore therapy. Um, and yeah, just follow that. And I talk a lot about, um, different things that I've been through and how to deal with anxiety and depression and and just normalizing things and everything we've basically been talking about in this. Yeah, no. And I mean, I, I follow it because it's a dope page. I I don't get paid. Alexis didn't pay me. But I, I think I think you guys might find some benefit. So thanks again, Alexis, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Sick. Well, take care. Thanks.